Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrel pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Alex, time is a flat circle. The Houston Astros, much like at the beginning of our run, doing this glorious podcast, Tipping Pitches, are back in the World Series. It is 2019, not 2017, but it seems like all of the stars of that 2017 Houston Astros team are still coming through in the clutch. Jose Altuve walk-off home run to end a series. A little bit of a Damian Lillard walk-off jump shot to end the series moment. I was living it up the other night watching that game. Just pure bliss. Take me through your your experience watching Altuve eliminate the Yankees single-handedly. Oh my God. Here's the thing is that I wasn't even watching the the whole game. And in part because I wasn't exactly all that enthused for the pitching matchup, given that both teams were... Uh, had committed to to bullpenning and it certainly looked like a game that was going to drag on. And wow. so I <laughs> Wow, Alex hates baseball. Alex not excited about an ALCS elimination game. Cancel this man, folks. Yeah, literally not excited when uh teams aren't interested in actually putting good products on the field. Alex Surprise. Manfred Baisley. <laughs> um so I turned the game on late and was kind of watching passively and kind of just happened to um, snap to attention with uh, with Chapman on the mound and Altuve at the plate and look up from my phone to see, hands down, one of the, the single greatest moments in playoff history in my memory in such a long time. I, it was just pure... Glee. It was pure bliss. That's like all it was. No matter who you were rooting for. I mean, I didn't have a rooting interest, and I, the, I'm sure Yankees fans were none too pleased. But like, <laughs> just as a, as a, as a fan of the sport, that was like, that was everything you could have asked for. I mean, we, it, it's kind of like what we talked about an episode or two ago about what makes for compelling, exciting playoff baseball, right? And it's that dominant closer at the plate who has never looked more vulnerable. And that's exactly what it was. And Altuve just took it to the house, man. I think it was an Altuve walk-off hit, or perhaps it was a Bregman walk-off hit a couple of years ago that uh, it brought Carlos Correa charging out of the dugout with no hat or no helmet on to greet whoever hit the walk-off single or double or whatever it was. But all I remember is Correa, there was a cam on Correa um, as he sprinted out of the dugout. And I just remember recapping that video on this very podcast and talking about how that joy is like the thing that you love to see most in playoff baseball. Because there's just really no no reason to get that excited about one of 162 wins. But in this specific instance, like it's, it's everything we could have imagined. Um, we're going to do a little bit more of a recap of the ALCS, maybe, but mostly we're going to focus on previewing the World Fucking Series, which is starting tomorrow. We're recording this on a Monday night. But before we get to that, I'm Bobby Wagner. I'm Alex Baisley. And this is Tipping Pitches. All right, Alex. 
Are you familiar with uh, the quarterback for one New England Patriots team, Tom Brady? I, I've I've heard of him once or twice. Are you familiar with his uh, his life motto, his new the new method that he follows, the TB12 method? I I can't say that I am. Well, long story short, it's just like a it's like a way of living, you know. It's like a diet. It's a lifestyle. It's that sort of thing. He's trying oh, I to feel brand like I've heard it. of this. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's trying to brand yeah. himself as the TB12, the TB12 method. It's how you stay young. It's how he's succeeded well into his forties. Sure. Yes. So he okay, has the TB12. <laughs> he has the TB12. So for our for our tipping pitches World Series preview, we're gonna do the TP10, the ten Whoa. things that we are either thinking about, you know, looking back at with the ALCS, the NLCS, or looking forward to for this World Series. Are you ready to kick us off, Alex? What is the first thing on the TP10 World Series preview? <laughs> I am ready, and I, I just, as an aside before we jump in, I, I had no idea where you're going with it, and I'm, I'm happy that we quickly brought it back from Tom Brady, because I was really scared there You didn't want me to dive in on some NFL takes? <laughs> uh, yeah, I can't say that, uh, that I was I don't know, man. That. Jalen Ramsey, Los Angeles Rams. I don't know. <laughs> All right, get us going. So I, when we, so when we were first discussing the the concept or how to preview the World Series, I said that I didn't want to um, do it from like a purely analytical angle because that's not really our beat. Um, and the example that I gave is, you know, we're not just going to talk about the pitching, but the first thing on my list is absolutely all the starting pitching in this World Series because if you like pitching. Boy, do I have some pitches for you, uh, this World Series. Uh, this is seriously one of the most stacked, I think, pitching matchups in the World Series ever. I mean, in in decades, potentially, you know, uh, at least of the last 50 years. And it comes at a really interesting time, given the uh, <laughs> the unjuiced ball. And I'm very curious to see how these respective offenses will fare, because this could either make for some incredible baseball over the next uh, week or two, or some absolute snooze fests where you have like a like a four nothing baseball game that goes on for like three and a half hours. Like a like the like the Rays A's wild card game, you know. Um, but that was certainly I, a snooze fest. Uh, yeah, you could put it that way. But I think that I certainly don't have a refined take on this. But I'm extremely excited to see like a handful of the best pitchers in the game, potentially of this generation, just all on one stage. I can't see how that isn't good for the sport, you know. Yes, I I can see. I mean. Something that I've always valued is like that idea, that concept of the starting pitcher being like the protagonist. You know, we talked about this last week with Bradford and I've mentioned it in the past. Like I love stealing Ben Lindbergh's take there and that the starting pitcher is the protagonist of the narrative of the story. And like it's most interesting because you're seeing that person for the most just raw amount of time. And I think I'm hoping for that in this World Series. I I would like to maybe see that narrative deviate a couple times. Like I, you don't want to just see every starting pitcher come out and yell like seven innings, seven Ks, one run. Right. Because then it's like, that's <laughs> right. kind of what you're expecting. And then it's a one, one game after seven. And it's kind of like a crapshoot. Like you want to see if there's going to be a couple teams that are a couple guys that can get to some of those starting pitchers. Um, I personally am rooting for the Astros. So I hope that 
they can get to Corbin and Strasburg and Scherzer. Um, Wait, you're rooting you're rooting for the Astros these playoffs? I am. Yeah. Oh, that's did you not know me. this? No. Why would I root I, for the I Nationals? I guess it makes, it makes sense. You're rooting. You would. You. <laughs> Come on, man. You could have discerned that. I suppose I could have, but I just never really uh, gave it a ton of thought. All right. Well, this will make for some some interesting loyalties in the next couple of weeks. Yes, it will. My my uh, my friend Zach Cram mentioned today on the Ringer MLB show that uh, pretty much by almost any margin, this these are the two best starting rotations to face each other in the World Series. Like if you look at ERA. This crop of starting pitchers from both of these teams ranked second of all time behind only like a dead ball year. And if you look at like league adjusted like FIP, if you want to look more into behind the numbers, um, it's just it's the best crop of pitchers that have ever faced up against each other in the World Series. So I, I think that like all of the conversation around that is definitely warranted. But of course, it like will not be the only thing that determines what wins this World Series. It never is. Yeah, and I think what you said about um, hoping for the offenses to get to some of these pitchers will be really key, in part because I think part of the allure of the the postseason is seeing those stars break out. Right? I mean, it's a chance for Anthony Rendon to show himself on the on baseball's biggest stage, right? I mean, it's the reason that we love the the Altuve homer or any. And literally any moment featuring Carlos Correa, just pick one because yep. he's a he's just a beautiful human, right? So I I'm hoping for a balance, although I can't be I can't be certain that we're gonna get it. Yeah. Okay. The second thing on the TP10. This is a tweet from friend of the podcast Austin Zimmerman, friend and former two-time guest of the podcast, Austin Zimmerman. He wanted us to talk about quote, bad things happening to relievers who are bad people. And Alex, boy, did we get that. On Saturday Boy, night, <laughs> was it Saturday? Is that when this ended? It was right. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That sounds right. Yeah. Totally. We watch baseball. Uh, yeah. So, as we said, Game Six, ALCS, very exciting game that Jose Altuve ended with one swing of the bat. In that game, we got to see uh, Roberto Osuna give up a three-run home run to D- the Yankees' DJ LeMahieu. Then, in the bottom of the ninth inning, Araldis Chapman give up that walk-off home run to Jose Altuve. And I just love a moment where you can, like, appreciate, like, the universe coming together and giving us, like, one glimpse of morality in what is a a pretty immoral sport in baseball. Um, You know, when the Astros traded for Roberto Osuna last year, I think it was, a lot of people hammered them for having a no... uh, zero-tolerance policy towards domestic violence and then going and trading for a reliever who happened to be able to help them in their World Series pursuits and ignoring his history with domestic violence um, and then kind of talking their way around it in the media afterwards. Um, And I think rightfully so people hammered them for that. I think you and I probably hammered them for that on this podcast. And much in the same way that Araldis Chapman was not on the mound for when the Cubs clinched the World Series in 2016, it's just a nice feeling to not have to watch Roberto Osuna clinch it for the Houston Astros and then to then watch Aldis Chapman the same guy from 2016 blow it for the Yankees. So um that was a that was a nice little moment for us which we don't get very many of those. Yeah, there was a there was definitely a visceral kind of happiness because the the ch- I think the chances of that happening were so slim. Astronomical, you know, of, yeah. <laughs> like for Osuna, Osuna to come in and blow it and Chapman to come in and blow it and yeah, it it felt like a bit of 
karmic justice. Um, I what I don't want to leave out of the conversation, which is something that was pointed out um, by a by a couple people on on Twitter, like Jen Mac Ramos and Ashley Holcomb, um, is the idea that just kind of uh, rooting against these players, uh, while not inherently bad, I think it it, it shouldn't malign the storyline of being like well this was a you know this was a loss for domestic abuse you know and and let it cloud the the bigger fight against this in the sport i think it's it certainly feels like small victories but it it doesn't necessarily do anything to take on the some of the larger systemic issues in the sport and yeah I, th- I think that's 100% right like I think it's not something to necessarily maybe celebrate it's something that we're glad that something worse didn't happen you know like I, I, I agree with what you're saying that like the conversation should probably be centered around the fact that like it's pretty despicable the fact that these players were even on the mound to begin with even to fuck it up like them fucking it up doesn't make it, you know, doesn't make it less likely that MLB teams will c- continue to pursue the professional pitching of domestic abusers. It's like if they're good, they're going to be on teams still. And just because they gave up a home run, just because either of them gave up home runs in this specific instance, doesn't mean that MLB player or MLB front offices will look in the future and be like, well, we shouldn't employ domestic abusers. You know what I mean? Something unfortunately relevant to what we're talking about right now, which I saw on Twitter 23 minutes ago, was a uh, tweet from Stephanie Epstein, who writes for Sports Illustrated, saying that during the the Astros ALCS celebration, assistant GM Brandon Taubman, I believe is how you say his name, yelled half a dozen times to three female reporters, thank God we got Osuna. I'm I'm so fucking glad we got Osuna. I think that (laughs) kind of underscores what we're saying, right? Is that like we can root for these perceived moral victories but to treat it as as like it's really doing anything to address the issue or like it protects any women going forward is uh is a farce and the the work doesn't stop here the work has barely even begun yeah i i 100 agree and i think the i think the power dynamics here are so minimal minimal for people on twitter who are who are tweeting that they're happy about like Chapman blowing this game you know like all you can do in certain instances is tweet like fuck that guy I'm so glad he fucked this up you know let me continue to bring this up at any instance I possibly can and not allow him to just be some average reliever who gets to continue his career yeah all right what's number three let's move on all right next on the TP10 I I've been thinking about how these two teams represent radically wild different paths to the same place because the Astros model has been kind of the one that so many teams have just felt like they need to replicate over the last few years. The Nationals kind of stunningly have managed to claw their way back to the top time and time again over the last few years. And much of that has been done by just kind of tinkering around the edges. And you you obviously can't discount the the massive uh draft halls, whether it's Trey Turner or Steven Strasburg or 
or Harper, even though he's not present, obviously. But it, it's just really striking to me how the the nationals have just kind of slowly but surely tiptoed like they were going to end up here eventually you know like after trying and trying again over the last few years i mean going all the way back to 2012 when they uh won the nl east and and lost in the division series and they've been hanging around ever since right and so it feels like this world series in part kind of represents a, a pushback against the idea that there's really only one way of doing things, you know? you. I mean, we can talk all day about how the Nationals probably should have signed Bryce Harper because they could have afforded it, but instead of losing their biggest star and then tearing the team down for parts, they went out and got Patrick Corbin, who has proved to be pivotal in their march to the postseason in the World Series. So I, I just... I think it's interesting looking at the makeup of the teams on the field and and seeing the paths how they got there and and I hope that GMs recognize that there really is not one pathway to the World Series. There isn't just the pathway that involves losing 120 games in a year and just crossing your fingers in the draft, you know? Yeah, I think the counter to that though is that that's what the Nationals did just 10 years ago, you know? But I I see what you're saying in the sense that they didn't actively necessarily intentionally tear it down when they could have been average or be above, slightly above average. Like they were a team that moved cities and didn't have a, a ton to build from. And, and then since that moment, since they've gotten a core of guys that they can build from, they've consistently competed. I, I think you're right in that respect. Like they've never gotten bad over the last seven years and there were there were a couple seasons that were really disappointing like the year that the Mets won the World Series or wow wow 40 and <laughs> God uh, like the year that the Mets won the division and then went to the World Series the Nationals had an incredibly incredibly disappointing year and the Mets won the, the division going away with 90 wins which when the Nationals won 93 this year and didn't even win the division so you know there have been years where they weren't quite as competitive, but it wasn't intentional, like you're saying, and they've never really torn it down and tried to do the full Astros-Cubs tank to like accelerate their chances of, of getting a lot of young and controllable guys. Although I think they kind of lucked into this sort of rebuild anyway, um, which kind of brings me to my next point, which is number four on our list, the Bryce Harper discourse. And I think the way that it's going to play out starting in this World Series and then um, in the coming weeks afterwards, no matter what the Nationals do, but especially if the Nationals win. And specifically, like, from a labor perspective, like, I'm gonna be... I'm already feeling myself get, like, frustrated, like, my face get hot when I hear people talking about how the Nationals, like, essentially, like, shed the baggage of having Bryce Harper on their team and then immediately made it to the World Series as if those two are inherently linked. And I guess you could have a good faith conversation about whether those two things are linked, like whether um, the Nationals are playing freer or whether they're whether not signing Harper allowed them to retain the services of a guy like Corbin, even though they should be able to sign both. I mean, I, you and I believe that. Everyone who's listening to this podcast knows that we believe that. But you can have a conversation about those things. Obviously, Bryce Harper's a really good baseball player, and I I don't feel that way. But 
I just think people are not operating, surprise, surprise, people on Twitter and elsewhere are not operating in good faith about their baseball takes. But there's no way you can literally, you can look at this team and be like, they would be much, much worse with Harp, with, with Harper on the team. Like, it doesn't work like that in baseball. And anyone who says otherwise is just either ignorant or intentionally trying to provoke you with that take. Like, and I'm, I can already feel myself getting tired of the, um, the reinforcement that it's giving the Nationals owner, Ted Lerner, who notoriously did not want to pay Harper, does not want to shell out for big contracts in meaningful ways. So like we talked about it a lot last offseason, but the, the contract that they offered Harper would not even approach what he was worth and then what he ended up getting on the market because it was structured so that like the incentives of it and the bonuses of it would would be significantly less than he would get anywhere else. And the early reports from what they're doing to Anthony Rendon look very similar. So it's obvious that Ted Lerner only wants to compete in the the ways that he sees is worthwhile. And to congratulate him for not spending the money for a, a franchise player who devoted the first however many years of his career to Washington and to the city and to the Nationals organization. And he was well-liked by his teammates and he was well-liked by the people who work for the Nationals. And as far as I can tell, he was really well-liked by the fans for a while until the PR machine of the Nationals turned the fandom against him. And I don't know. I, I can just see myself getting frustrated already or I can feel myself getting frustrated already with that conversation and the way that it, this World Series appearance specifically is going to allow Ted Lerner to have his talking points for the upcoming offseason with the free agents that they have coming up like Anthony Rendon. Yeah, I, that's, I think, a good point there, um, especially be, as we have a lot of really high-profile upcoming free agents being showcased in this world series, whether it's Garrett Cole, who is the, you know, was the arguably the best pitcher in baseball this year. And, uh, and you mentioned Anthony Brandon and Steven Strasburg has an opt out that he could potentially exercise if he wants to. And I, I think that you're absolutely right in that it is going to, in that it's, some pretty good ammo for the people who say, well, you don't need to spend $330 million to get to the world series, but it's also <laughs> such a, it's, it's such a bad faith argument, you know, yeah, like on a, Bryce Harper on a, being on, a, on this team wouldn't have made Scherzer and Strasburg and Corbin pitch worse. Like, what are we doing here? What are we talking about? That's such a bullshit bootlicking narrative. Yeah. I mean, it's like, if you look at the difference between, a guy like Patrick Corbin and Bryce Harper and what they're making this year, like this year, I'm not talking about the full contract this year alone. The difference is a few million dollars, something the owners could absolutely afford. And if it's a world series that you want, <laughs> then who gives a shit, you know, who gives a shit if you have a backloaded contract, you know, who gives a shit if you have an Albert Pujols who can't play first base anymore if you at the very least have been able to snag yourself a, a world series. Right. Um, and the thing is divorced from the labor aspect of all of this, which you is obviously impossible to do, but if you ignore all of that, I think it's a pretty entertaining narrative. You know, the fact that, that the nationals were the butt of the joke for years and years and years of not being able to, to win in the playoffs 
and you have this superstar who has had the city basically turn on him and he leaves and he goes to to Philadelphia and all of a sudden the the Nationals break through like that in itself is such a fascinating turn of events in sports it's you know Greek tragedy <laughs> it it absolutely is um and it's what baseball is made of but the fact that it's immediately going to be turned and twisted to say that you know you don't need to pay your stars money is the most disappointing side of it right right exactly um okay let's move on number five we're as could have been predicted we're getting bogged down in the weeds of this conversation and we're a little behind schedule so what's number five all right i'll go quickly but this also relates to what we're just talking about which is all the players who were sold for parts on these two baseball teams oh my goodness the the amount of players who have just been picked up from bad teams is stunning you have like the Tigers rotation is present in this series. You have Patrick Corbin. You've got Zach Greinke, um, Garrett Cole. I mean, it is stunning to me the amount of talent that has been just kind of sold off, you know, because the teams couldn't af- purportedly couldn't afford it, or they were entering a a, a new phase of the of their franchise or whatever it is whatever bullshit excuse they want to come up with but it's stunning how it all kind of funnels into this one place you know and you can think about it from a labor perspective but you can also just think of it in terms of the way that like the talent has just risen to the top in major league baseball right you yeah. see how these two juggernauts have been compiled and and how hard it is to compete in 2019 because the best teams can just like pick off players that they're choosing because most of the teams are choosing to tank. And and this is how we get the a historic rotation in the World Series, right? This is what happens. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when you have teams that are not incentivized to keep good players, like non-foundational, non-youth, non-under-25 players, that when those teams are not incentivized to keep those guys, then of course they're going to go in the direction they're going to be pulled gravitationally to the teams that are incentivized, that need that extra step, that need that extra piece and that extra bullpen arm, they're going to, those teams are going to have more interest. And if you're not competing against 30 teams that have interest, and you're only competing against eight teams that have interest, then yeah, of course it's more likely that these guys are going to end up on the two teams that actually make it all the way through. It's unfortunate, but I, I do think it does happen in every sport. Like it reminds me of, the the buyout market in the NBA where like there's some veteran who's in the final deal the final year of their deal um making like 30 million and the team that doesn't want to keep them around because they don't want the unhappy star on their team anymore buys out the rest of their contract and they sign for a, a, a league minimum contract with a contender it happens all the time in all the sports and it's frustrating but, I mean, I guess the silver lining of it is that we get to watch all these guys play against each other in the most important <laughs> baseball games. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It makes for good baseball two weeks out of the year. So, I guess that's a plus. You love that. Two of 52 weeks. Okay. <laughs> Number six. Uh, the New York Yankees, historically successful franchise that they are, have made a World Series in every decade since the 1910s. And that streak was snapped this past weekend as they did not make it again. And uh, this decade is ending, Alex, in a few months, which is weird to say. But this was the first decade in literally 100 years that the Yankees had not made the World Series. So 
I think that's a pretty shocking stat. It's a fun stat to hear out loud, said out loud. Um, but I do think that we think of the Yankees as a successful franchise still. And those of us who talk and analyze baseball consider Brian Cashman to be a good and successful GM based on the team that he's built, um, based on the farm system, based on the regular season performance. Like I, I think if this were to happen, say that baseball existed 200 years ago, like, and this streak happened 100 years ago, this streak was snapped 100 years ago, so like, say that the 1910s was the first decade that they hadn't made it since the 1810s, I think people would flip shit a lot more. Like, we've come a long way in terms of how we analyze success in baseball, and we understand like the idea of the small sample size, the idea that the playoffs are kind of a crapshoot. We understand that better than ever, and we don't, some of us at least, don't hot take and just be like, well, there's no joy to take from this decade of being a Yankees fan. I get that their fans are spoiled and frustrated and they want to make it to the World Series and they want to win another World Series, but I do think it's pretty cool that people can be chill about the fact that the Yankees had a good, successful winning decade and have a lot of fun young players. Yeah, which they do. I don't think you can look back on the decade and really see it as a failure. I mean, they certainly fell short of their expectations and their long-term outlook looks slightly different because you do have these kind of juggernaut teams in the AL that are rising up and I don't know it'll be interesting to see how they pivot forward but I I I guess tip my hat to Yankees fans for being almost rational you know (laughs) (laughs) it's a good it's a good quality to have humility is good you should all try it more often sure all right number seven Number seven on the TP10 is just the idea of rooting for good people because they're good people to root for <laughs> in the World Series. And there are some bad people who to not root for. But I think that baseball is a really, you know, as, as we've talked about, baseball is such a solitary sport where oftentimes it's just one person versus one person. And it's very easy to just root for like a handful of players who you want to see succeed. And that's good. And it's good to know that there are good people like Sean Doolittle just playing who, regardless of what happens in the World Series, to have made an impact on this team and to have, and to have gotten this far is a really nice thing to, you know, that feels like some real karmic justice, right? These people yeah. who have done good in their communities are actually kind of seeing it come back to them, you know? Or a guy like Fernando Rodney. Oh my God, if you're not rooting for Fernando Rodney to get a World Series ring in 2019, at 43 my God, years I, old, <laughs> I don't even know what to say to you. Um, so, I think that's what I'm most excited about in this World Series. Obviously, there's there's a lot to get excited about, but part of it is just seeing very specific players who I want to see successful, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, okay, number eight. Here's a stat. You might have heard it if you've listened to any second of any Nationals game during this postseason. The Washington Nationals on May 23rd were 19-31. and 31. 12 games under 500. And since then, they have rallied to go on to win 93 games and to then win a ton of games in the postseason and make it to the World Series. I just got to say, it's obviously very impressive what the Nationals did since May 23rd, but May 23rd is kind of early in the season 
to be writing a team off as evidenced by the Nationals. And I know that they were the furthest under 500 that late in the season to ever make it to the World Series. I understand that part of the stat. But I don't really think, like I think when we're watching postseason baseball, we often get dragged into these narratives that um, are like on the, you know, stat sheet that get handed to the broadcaster as they're trying to prep for each team that they have not spent 162 games with like the local broadcasts have like I don't really think every I don't really think anyone believed that the Nationals were 19 and 31 bad on May 23rd like you just look at this roster and you see all the talent that is jumping out now in the postseason you're like yeah I expect them to kind of bring it back towards 500 and obviously they brought it back a lot further than 500 but no one in in their right mind thought that this team was terrible on May 23rd and I get that it's a cool stat to keep citing but like Maybe can we just keep it to like once or twice during the World Season? We don't need to say it every single time they get a hit. (laughs) Yeah, I think you're right. I I do think that it's kind of not a stunning turn of events because like they they felt like maybe the most sort of rock solid, you know, coming into the year. Um, But there were all these variables about the, the Cubs potentially being able to just like show up are they gonna make a name for themselves with their dynasty and uh and are the you know are the phillies fresh off their bryce harper signing are they going to be the ones to to take the east and take the the postseason by storm who knows and i think that it's it's a i think it's an objectively impressive run that they went on totally and and it's i don't know it's in, it's enjoyable to see i think I will say though, I mean, not to toot my own horn and to toot my coworkers' horns as well, but like three of the four of us who work on the Ringer MLB show picked this exact World Series matchup. So it's not like we're coming fully out of left field with the Washington Nationals. Like they're a really fucking good team. I think we all tried to get Q with that pick instead of the Dodgers. But listen, they're really good. They have a great rotation. Juan Soto is an emerging superstar. I think he's just emerged. I think we can pass tense that bad boy now. It's not totally crazy what they've done since May 23rd. Um, but, you know, it's an easy stat that rolls off the tongue. And and what better thing to feed into the mouths of Joe Buck and John Smoltz than easy stats that roll off the tongue? <laughs> well put. <laughs> okay, uh, number nine. We're down to our last two. I think that all we have talked about on the TP10 is the Washington Nationals. And so, uh, and so why stop now, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> I know that you just talked about how the Nationals are a really good team. And this isn't out of left field. But it kind of feels like they are the team, you know, like like this is destiny right here. Whether it's however you want to spin the narrative, whether it's fresh off the Bryce Harper signing, or it's their record on May 23rd, or it's Howie fucking Kendrick showing up in the 2019 playoffs coming off of a, a batting title. That guy seems or, like a joy. An absolute joy. Absolute joy to be around. It's just smile. His personality seems infectious. I know that's like, you know, bullshit uh, beat reporter talk, but I, I believe it. <laughs> yeah, or, or or Gerardo Parra walking up to Baby Shark and making that a thing at Nationals Park this year. I mean, it just feels like all the really weird quirks and things that have kind of come out of nowhere this year have coalesced into this team that makes them the... I think perfect foil to the Houston Astros who are the juggernaut 
where it feels like every single day there's a different story that comes out about how maligned their organization is and all the shit that's going on <laughs> with with them. Wow, roast me for rooting for them. Jesus. I I will. <laughs> <laughs> um no, I just like the the Astros are far and away the favorites to win this thing. Yeah. I, I mean, they have the best odds to win it since like the Red Sox in 07, but the World Series is effectively a coin flip. Um I think it's over the last like over the last 50 World Series, the team with the with the better regular season record versus the team with the worst regular season record, it's like close to 50-50 in terms of who wins. And yeah. that's not the best way of measuring things, but it also feels like if you wanted to root for the Nationals to win this thing, it wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world. And that's pretty cool. I will say, though, uh, <laughs> I find it funny like how the different ways that people root for different matchups based on their own personal rooting interests after their team is eliminated. Like for me, for example, like I needed the Astros to win so that I didn't have to have a Nationals-Yankees World Series where I wouldn't know where my personal fandom allegiances lie. And like, I probably blow that up too much. We all probably blow that up too much as sports writers and sports prognosticators. Like, we don't need to pour one out for the fact that you have to root for a division rival in the World Series. Like, it's okay. <laughs> These are, it's a, these teams, it feels like have two really completely different identities coming into this World Series. And, uh, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm pulling Nats. I think they could pull it off. That's all I'm saying. Good for you. We'll have that argument over the next couple of weeks. I'm sure we will. Um, all right. Last on the TP10, round us off. Last on the TP10. What better way to end this segment than talking about tipping pitches? Not the podcast, Alex, the actual baseball thing. Frequently, I forget the fact that like we chose the name of this podcast based on an actual baseball term, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, because like it's just become the idea of it in my head is like tipping pitches. Oh, I got to go record that. Oh, I got to go edit that, like whatever. But um, every every playoffs, especially towards the World Series when, you know, every pitch matters more than ever, it feels like uh, we start to hang on the idea of pitch tipping. And there's just, it seems this year, specifically, and a couple of years ago too, and last year, um, the fury, the furor over tipping pitches has been just crazier than ever. And honestly, I wish everyone was talking about our podcast. Do you think this is helping our uh, our Q score in the public? <laughs> I don't think it is, because now when you Google tipping pitches... It's like, Tyler uh, Glasnow it, tipped his pitches three weeks yeah, ago, and it's like, fuck, it's like, dude. It's like, like tipping like pitches seven. explained. I'm like, no, stop. Tipping pitches explained. It's like, well, Alex Basley is from Oakland, California. He was born in 1996. <laughs> like, <laughs> we should write that as a joke blog post. Tipping pitches explained. And it's just our bio. It's just about us. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, we're going to take a quick break. Come back, do three up, three down. Real quick, we'll keep all the stuff on 3-Up-3-Down, three three not necessarily World Series focused, since we just kind of hit all of that in a list format anyway. <laughs> um, but we'll be back right after this. I'm surrounded by criminals, heavy rollers, even the shites, the individuals. Smoking, skunking, mad fillies, beating down Billy badasses, cracks and stacks and masses. If robbery's the class, bet I pass it. Shit get drastic, I'm burying your bastards. 
Big Papa never softening. Take it to the church, rob the preacher for the offering. Leave the fucker coughing up. All right, Alex. Three up, three down. It occurred to me, and I'm sure to you, before we started this podcast, that basically the the TP10 segment, the ten things to think about heading into the World Series, is basically just three up, three down. We are at the stage. We're at the um. The listicle stage of our podcast. I was just about to say the this. We're, we're just we're just BuzzFeed in baseball <laughs> podcast form. <laughs> but good. Uh, okay, three things coming off my list this week. Jack Flaherty, most likely guys to hit 400, and Giancarlo Stanton and teams playing at their fullest in the playoffs. We're really speeding through this. What's coming off your list this week? Uh, off my list this week, the alternative juiced ball theory. Don't care anymore. Um you Pete Alonso's really? <laughs> heading into the World Series. You don't care about the contents of the baseball. I, I mean, I do, but I don't care about alternative theories or 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 what it means about conspiracies. I I I I'm done. I'm over it. We'll talk about it in two weeks. Yeah. Uh, also, also off my list, Pete Alonso's extraterrestrial encounter. Whoa, and, uh, that's a wave. That <laughs> jump in the wayback machine for that. Hell yeah. Uh, and last is my updated. Bernie scouting report. Uh, I'm sure he'll be back in the cages this offseason and we'll have plenty more to talk about. Love. Okay. First onto my list this week is um, Gary Sanchez looking sadder than sad about the fact that the umpire would not let him throw the baseball back to his pitcher. Um, if you didn't see, shout out to John Boy on Twitter. He tweeted out a video of uh, a super cut of all the times that the umpire, that Gary Sanchez put his hand out to grab the ball back from the umpire to th- after a foul tip or whatever. And the umpire just threw it back instead. And Sanchez looks so sad about the fact that he can't throw it back to his pitcher. Um, so Gary Sanchez didn't get to throw the ball back to his own pitcher. Didn't even get to play in the World Series. Really tough beat for uh, the Kraken himself. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. What a, what a one-two punch, right? Seriously. You have an entire offseason to throw pitches to to throw the ball back to your pitcher after they uh after they throw it to you so good luck with that gary what's on your list this week (laughs) all right uh first on my list this week we have to talk about it cc sabathia officially retiring Mm. do we have to talk about it (laughs) we do (laughs) and and going out in the the saddest fashion leaving with an injury and it's just like I don't mean it ironically when I say that you hate to see it. You just, you legitimately do not like to see that sort of thing. (laughs) Um, But instead of dwelling on that final pitch of his and the final moments of his career, I think it's much better to reflect on what a joy it was to watch him play baseball over the last decade and a half. And we talk about uh, being able to, to root for good people playing the game of baseball like that was a good person playing the game of baseball and the sport will be lesser without him playing baseball i 100 percent agree with that and i think something that i've been thinking about with cc over the last week is the uh ubiquity of the phrase he's lost his fastball and how that kind of applies not only just in baseball anymore but kind of to the world at large and how relatable it makes that figure in baseball specifically how relatable it makes a guy like CC Sabathia to the average person, to the average fan. Like we all probably, I hope, at least I can speak for myself, aspire to be able to adapt to the world around us in a way that makes us useful, in a way that makes us 
beloved by our friends, our family, our fans, our whatever it might be. And and for CC Sabathia, we got to watch that so intimately over the course of a career. He started as such a dominant guy. There was all these storylines about how he, you know, lost his edge because he had lost this weight and then he gained the weight back and then he had the injuries and the knee problems and everything. And we watched that so intimately in such a drip, drip, drip over the course of his career. And to see a guy like that remain so likable, so humble, so such a great person like you're describing to still find ways at the end to be such a great teammate and to literally pitch until his arm could not do it anymore in the final um, the final game of his career I think is so relatable and admirable and it's the reason that it made me so fucking sad but also just happy to have grown up in an era where we have a guy like that and have frankly such great access to a guy like that like he CC Sabathia does a podcast CC Sabathia tweets he gives quotes that we can see on video after games. Like, what a blessing to have that guy in the information overload era, you know? Yeah, absolutely. We're we're all looking for our 95 mile per hour fastball, but but CC Sabathia is is there to prove that even when we lose it, like we still have an 89 mile an hour cutter. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I need to find that 89 mile an hour cutter because I'm feeling like I'm starting to lose the 95, you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is it. This is that cutter right there, this podcast. Hell yeah. Okay, we're washed. Um, number two, speaking of washed takes. Uh, so uh, I'm a big fan of uh, Jalen Rose and David Jacoby. They have a podcast and uh, a TV show now called Jalen and Jacoby. Um, however, <laughs> Jalen Rose, former NBA player, not the most uh, nuanced baseball takes out of him. And in order to make his point on three-point shooting, they were talking about it on their show, he was making a point that three-point shooting is uh, ruining the aesthetic of uh, of basketball. Like, it, it doesn't look like how he's used to it growing up um, or how he's been used to it growing up and, and watching it for his entire life. And he doesn't like how many threes are being launched. He thinks it's not aesthetically as pleasing. And that's totally a reasonable take to have, um, except he he... Anchored it in by saying, <laughs> to start his point, and I'll play the audio right now, exactly to start his point by saying, game. analytics ruin baseball. Just, just let me cook on this. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Okay. Analytics destroy baseball. Analytics is destroying basketball to the point where the three-point line will get moved back and the quarter three is going to get eliminated. So every once in a while I see one of these takes I and I see it used specifically to, to bolster the point that someone is trying to talk about in another sport. And I think it's lazy. I think it's incorrect. I think it's ahistorical. I don't think analytics ruined baseball. Like, I don't think, I just don't know the person who's out there who's like not watching baseball because like no one is bunting. I don't know who didn't watch the Astros this year because AJ Hinch didn't intentionally walk anyone. I think what he was alluding to is the idea that statistics analytics the 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 way that the discourse around baseball has been damaged because some people speak the language of analytics and some people don't like that kind of thing but to say that analytics like completely outright ruined baseball is a pretty lazy take and obviously he was using it in the context of another sport making his point somewhere else and like he wasn't really trying to get into the nitty-gritty of the way that war has been received in the greater public over the last 20 years but I just need to be able to get mad online every once in a while about someone parachuting in and being like, analytics ruined the game. 
because it didn't ruin the game. And we still get to have moments with CeCe Sabathia, and we still get to have Jose Altuve hitting a walk-off home run. Like, what's the analytics on that? It didn't ruin it, Alex. It really didn't. We're yeah, fine. We're we're still gonna enjoy this World Series. Like it's no still one's good. no Baseball's one's sitting still here. Good. Yeah. <laughs> we're not just adding up the respective war values of every team and saying, well, they won the World Series, the Astros, because they had the most. Like yeah. it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Although if you listened to non-analytics people talk about the way analytics people think, you would think that's what we were doing. That was a very yes. convoluted way of saying that <laughs> people don't like analytics. Yeah, people talking about analytics ruining baseball is really what's ruining ruining baseball. (laughs) I feel like we're on the fourth layer of inception right now in this conversation. Yes, absolutely. What's the second thing that's getting added to your list? Second thing added to my list, and (laughs) this this may put me on old takes exposed in about two weeks let's get but, it um i wish we got on old takes exposed we would oh my god <laughs> the i know purview, right? the reach of our podcast would be so much bigger but it's in reference to joe buck's call on the jose altuve home run which was objectively a really good call because he didn't say a word beyond <laughs> jose altuve has just sent the Astros to the World Series. And I don't even mean that as a as a slight to Joe Buck necessarily. I mean that as in like he and it's he's he's mentioned before that he does this, which is that in the biggest moments, he kind of just likes to let it play out and let the crowd noise um overcome the the screen and the viewer. And it was the absolute perfect way to I, I think experience that moment is just to see George Springer, you know, come home and Jose Altuve around the bases and to just hear the noise of the Astros ballpark just going crazy because you got to soak in it and you didn't have to have someone talking into your ear. And I think that far too often, a lot of broadcasters try to overdo it in those really big moments. They have some canned line or something like that, but Joe Buck is pretty darn good, or at least has gotten a lot better in those big moments since he's kind of take this foot off the gas a little bit. Like, just kind of letting the moment happen is a really good thing. And maybe part of it is just being seated next to John Smoltz. Like, anyone looks good at a broadcaster. But Joe Buck has gotten objectively, I think, easier to listen to over the last few years, even as he's admitted that he prefers football. (laughs) Like... (laughs) <laughs> he's he's almost fine, which by Joe Buck standards is, uh, I don't know, pretty darn good. I, I think you're right about the big moments thing. I just dislike how he tries to apply that principle too aggressively to the rest of the game. Like when I'm watching their, when I'm watching a Joe Buck, John Smoltz broadcast, like there's just kind of a lot of silence. And yeah. I understand like trying to let the moment live and everything. But when you watch the course of an entire baseball game, it just kind of comes off as disinterested instead of like, um, instead of like trying to step out of the way of the game because baseball for 90% of the literal time of the game, the linear time of the game is by its nature uninteresting because nothing is happening. The ball is only in play for a matter of seconds. So like obviously let those moments live, but you got to fill the rest of the time with conversation and, and um, passion and like, like a kind of jovial banter back and forth that I think all of the best booths 
do. And and that really like shows your love for the game rather than just like resigned silence, which should only be reserved for, I think, the biggest moments like the Altuve home run. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think it's clear that Joe Buck's love for the game is probably uh, not as maybe big than ours, uh, potentially. And certainly, uh, even though it seems a lot bigger, once again, sitting next to John Smoltz, who just literally says on air how much he dislikes the game right now. But um, <laughs> I I think the, the fact that uh, Joe Buck, at the very least, can show up in the big moments is the the biggest, I think, redeeming quality about him. And it makes him, at the very least, bearable to listen to when he's actually speaking at least yeah okay final thing on my list this week uh there's a story that i read in the new york times by david waldstein this was reported elsewhere um by folks at baseball america jj cooper i think was who had it there um that major league baseball is trying to radically change the structure of their minor league baseball affiliates um and i got news for you alex it's not the radical (laughs) change that you and I maybe were hoping for. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so so basically the the gist of it, the TLDR of it is that they want to eliminate or change the nature of about 40 teams across the country. So essentially they want to get rid of a lot of short season ball and convert some other more profitable short season teams to uh, you know full season ball, which would be, I guess, double A or high A or something of that sort. I think that they are... MLB is masquerading this uh, as, with the idea that uh, they want better conditions for the other teams that do exist, the higher value teams, the teams with bigger prospects on them that are closer to making it to the majors, and they want better working conditions for those people, meaning better travel, uh, better food, better facilities, better training, that kind of thing. And, and that is what MLB is sharing from their side. I, I think... Obviously, a lot of people that are affiliated with minor league baseball are against this because it would just get rid of a lot of their teams, and that would mean a lot of cities don't have teams anymore. Um, from my perspective, it sounds like instead of just paying all of the minor leaguers what they're worth because they see that it's trending towards that direction because the f- the fury over that from the public is just growing and growing and growing every year. So I think MLB can kind of foresee that they're going to have to eventually pay these minor leaguers living wage. Um Instead of actually doing that for every minor leaguer, they're trying to get out ahead of it and get rid of some of the minor league teams so that they don't have to do it for all of them. It reminds me a little bit of how, like, if a company unionizes, they just try to cut the working force in half because they now have to actually pay those people what they're worth. And so I guess I'm a little concerned about it from that perspective. It's uh, it's pretty preliminary at this point. Um, these were, uh, I, I think, internal documents that were, like, that the New York Times obtained and it's a developing story, so we'll see what actually goes on with it. But obviously, there's not a whole lot go- good going on in minor league baseball. And uh, it wouldn't be an episode of Tipping Pitches if we left this specific story off. Because I think it could have huge ramifications in the future. Even though we're about to head into the World Series, we should be talking about minor league baseball, which sounds crazy to say. <laughs> yeah, it's... I mean, it's a pretty fitting follow-up, I think, to what we talked about a few weeks ago, the the Travis Sochik piece in 538, in which he envisioned a, a, a relatively similar idea, which is that the minor leagues are not, quote-unquote, efficient enough, you know? And you're right in that 
MLB will try to frame this as being like, well, this is a way to improve that efficiency, improve the conditions, right? We're going to update the facilities and we're going to pay players more. But the flip side of that being, we're not going to pay more players. So, (laughs) so like nothing actually changes MLB owners and the MLB just kind of at large is still just trying to suck as much money out of this as possible. And all I can see is that it will be harmful for the game, not only from, um, from the point, uh, from the point of view of the local fan who maybe lives in one of those towns that only has a minor league team and that's their, you know, sole connection to professional baseball, but also knowing how many players live at the fringes who end up on the the big stage, right? The narrative around Jose Altuve is that, you know, he was he was almost like cut from the Astros organization and he was sent home and and instead he said, you know, I'm gonna keep trying and I'm gonna I'm gonna get better. And by by raising that bar, the those guys like the the Jose Altuves or the or the Paul Goldschmidt's or whatever, the guys who are seen as outliers on the fringes of these organizations just they they wouldn't be here and we might not be able to see that play out in real time cuz we're just going to see good major league baseball players regardless but this just doesn't feel like the answer i like you're making you're making more money than ever guys you can you can just afford to pay them it's that darn simple you certainly can redistribute that capital alex okay final thing on your your three up list this week Final thing on my list is uh, maybe a little abstract, but it's just the the aesthetic pleasure of watching a baseball game on TV, in part as as viewed through the lens of that Jose Altuve home run. I mean, you talked about kind of at the be- you asked me at the beginning of this podcast what it was like for me to kind of experience it, and I feel like this. And and my previous up kind of uh, addressed that right the the atmosphere of the ballpark that you could hear and the the visual bliss that was kind of witnessing that baseball is such an incredible sport I think to be watched on TV in those big moments because of its pace because like. TV operators are just really good at this at catching yeah, all are. the right moments at catching. Aroldis Chapman's face on the mound at catching George Springer's like incredible excitement as he crossed the plate and jumped into the arms of his teammates as Jose Altuve nonchalantly just kind of dropped his bat and ran around the bases like it was just another fucking home run. And I I, I don't know, part of me just kind of wants to tip my cap to those people who work so hard to make this product actually like an enjoyable thing to consume because it's a really, really hard thing to do to be able to capture those moments so perfectly, but like they do it pretty much every time. So that's, that's what I'm thinking about this week and, and going into the world series. Yeah. It's an extremely astute observation. Uh, It's one that Phoebe made with me as we were watching over the last couple of weeks, she was just like, how do they know when to cut to the ball in the air versus when it's going to go foul versus when it's going straight backwards or that sort of thing? And uh, I was like, 
I guess they just kind of know off the bat. And the real answer is that they are just professionals and they've been doing this for such a really long time that they they know what's going to be foul and they know what's going to be fair. And um, they do such a really, really, really great job of bringing us exactly what we need as fans. Okay, the World Series is here. It's the best time of the year. Unfortunately, it only lasts for the next week or so. We will be coming to you with another podcast, hopefully before this ends, because we want it to go seven, because we need to bleed as much baseball out of the 2019 season as is possible. Right, Alex? Absolutely right. Bobby, I'm going to put you on the spot. We're not known for our predictions, but... Oh, oh, no, we are not. (laughs) Who you got? How many games? I think Astros in six. Um, six. Yeah, because I, I think uh, you figure Cole, Verlander, Granke, I think they might get two out of those three, so they need to pull across maybe one more after that, and then they get Cole again. And I think I think if Cole pitches twice, that the Astros will, uh, will be emerging victorious on the other side of that second start. These are these are these are fair points. How about you? I'm gonna I'm gonna counter that with the Nationals in seven and to uh, to back that up I will also throw out some names of good players like uh, like Max Scherzer <laughs> and uh, and Steven Strasburg and Anthony Rendon if you heard of this guy yo Victor he's Robles amazing. is still on the Nationals and he's really good so um, so they also have good players and that's why I think that they'll they'll win and you know fucking team of destiny man this is it who else but the Nationals uh sure Team of Destiny, who else but the Nationals? My counterpoint to that, I mean, we don't need to keep going back and forth, but my counterpoint to that is the Astros. Maybe the best team of all time. That's who else. (laughs) Uh, Known for our analysis here. If you are watching along with the World Series and you see something happen that you think is Tipping Pitches core, please reach out to us, tippingpitchespod at gmail.com or tipping underscore pitches on Twitter is the fastest way to reach us while we are watching the exact same baseball game. All of us watching the same baseball game at once. What a treat. Alex, we'll be back next week. Thanks, everyone, for listening.